I almost forgot y'all was here. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I looked up and kind of got shocked. Uh, I'm honored to be here before you guys again uh, to share God's word. Uh, I've been tasked today to kind of uh, set like a pre-introduction to the book of Exodus. Um, the elders are starting a series of Exodus, and um, they're going to start that next week. And I've been tasked to kind of um, do like a little pre-foundation to the book of Exodus, but I'm not going to preach anything from Exodus. Um, I'm of the belief, like, if you ask me to preach Galatians 1, I'm going to pre- preach Galatians 1 and let the next man do 2. I'm not going to dig me into 2 or do 3. I'm just going to do 1. Uh, so today, I'm just going to bring you to Exodus. Just, I'm just going to drop you off at the, at the beginning of the book where the book starts off and says, there was, a, there was a Pharaoh who came who did not know Joseph. All right? And so I'm just dropping you off there. Um, you can look at me there as an Uber driver, right? And you got to go to the, you got to go to the airport, right? I'm just going to drop you off at the front door. Yeah, yeah, have a good day. Enjoy your flight, all right? Uh, so that's, that's my task. Part of my goal is to help you uh, to see the picture, uh, to paint uh, a, a picture of how we get to Exodus. So I want you to keep that in your mind on how we get to Egypt. How do we get there? Um, the book of Exodus, when it starts, um, it assumes that you've already read Genesis, and it assumes that you're already familiar with uh, uh, the story in Genesis. Primary goal uh, will be to see God's plan of salvation through Israel, um, through the story of Joseph. So our scripture today will come from our main scripture. We're going to start off with this, and I'm going to build up to there. It'll be Genesis 50. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis 50 on page 44 in the Black Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, the Black Bible will be our gift to you. Feel free to take it if you don't have one. Genesis 50, starting at verse 15. When you got it, say amen. One of y'all got it. I just need one more person. All right, that's two, so we good to go. All right, so... When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the servants, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So that's the main text. So how do we build up to Genesis 50? How do, we, how do we build up to Genesis 50 before I drop you off and you come back next week to hear about Exodus? 
The beginning of the people of Israel starts with a promise from God to a man named Abram. In Genesis 12, starting at verse 1, God says to Abram, it's a promise, a promise from God to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. As I, as I hear this, some of you guys are familiar with Scripture. Let's not hear this as just another time of reading, right? That's just, like, I, 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 can, I can sense kind of like this dullness even towards just the Scripture. Later, I, I want us to marvel at God's goodness in it, but let's not just make this dull. Like, oh, I've heard this before. All right, let's, let's get back to it. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The, this promise made, uh, made to Abraham, to make Abraham a great nation, was a gift from God, not based on anything that Abram has done or anyone else outside of Abram, after Abram, will do save Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ, who in himself is God. So God makes a promise in Genesis 12. We're building up to Genesis 50. And then in Genesis 15, he prophesies to Abram. And again, we're, we're going to Exodus. I'm taking you guys to Egypt. So listen to Genesis 15, starting at verse 13. Know for certain, God speaking to Abram, that your offspring will be sojourners in the land. That's not a great way to start off a promise. People being sojourners in a land. He says, a land that is not their own and will be servants there. Still not a good start. And they will be afflicted for 40 years. But I will bring judgment to the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. That's where we want to start at, don't we? We want to start with the great possessions. You should kind of live with that, right? We don't want the suffering first. We want the great possessions first. But, man, let me just get through this because our God, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He says, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Before Abram's offspring, God's promise, now God's prophesying, before Abram's offspring possesses the land, they will be sojourners in a foreign land. They will be afflicted for 40 years. 400 years, I'm sorry, 400 years before they possessed the land of Canaan. At the end of that verse, we, we have this like part that many of us probably skip if you read through your Bible plan. It says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. As I read this, I asked myself, why? Why would you start off this prophecy with saying that they will be afflicted for 400 years? years and be sojourners in a land. And as I read, when I see therefore and for, I, I don't try to read into the text. I try to see what was God's reason? What did he say the reason was in this uh, affliction or um, this um, 
completion of the iniquity of the Amorites, rather, uh, is the reason why he says, for the iniquity of the Amorites are not yet complete. Abraham's offspring will not be afflicted because of anything that they've done on their own, and they will not possess the land because of any of their own doing. It is all God's good plan for his good purpose. Remember, we're with Abram. They haven't even came yet, and this is a prophecy that's happening. So they, they didn't have an opportunity to do nothing yet. So how, how, do, how does this Amorites and, and possessing the land, and even when I say they didn't do anything or they would not do anything, Deuteronomy 9, it says, not because of your own righteousness or the uprightness of your hearts, God speaking um, to Israel, are you going to possess their land? But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are you guys following me on how we're going to Egypt? To get to Egypt, we, we have to go through a story. Um, we have to go through a story of, of a man who some of us are familiar with and some of us may not be. I've been, missing, I've been mentioning Joseph, and in your mind, you may be thinking Mary's betrothed husband. All right, that's not what we're talking about. But for those of us who are familiar with the story of Joseph, uh, I want to, as we look through, I want to lay out these kind of parameters to kind of work through before we get into the story. A sinful event sets things up so that a chosen people can be rescued from starvation and the tribe of Judah is preserved from being wiped out so that the lion of the tribe of Judah would come. Say that one more time. Say that one more time. Because as we look at these stories, keep Joseph in mind and keep Jesus in mind. Huh? Because I'm going to try not to skip over myself, but I get excited when I talk about Jesus. <laughs> right? So I'm going I'm to keep contained. I'm going to work through this. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> However, just keep Keep these comparisons in mind because we're going we're gonna to get there. Say it one more time. A sinful event sets things up so that a chosen people can be rescued from starvation and the tribe of Judah is preserved from being wiped out so that the lion, the tribe of Judah, would come. So let's look at Joseph. Let's look at how all this plays out. We mentioned the promise. We mentioned uh, 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 God's prophecy, if you want to, for alliteration or whatever, we can look at uh, the process, right? The promise, uh, uh, the prophecy, and the process. How do we get there? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers to Midianite traders. Um, After that, consider killing him. Before we get into the story, let's pause. Because many of you probably saw Joseph in the robe of many colors, right? And 
these stories can become somewhat of a movie. I don't want that. We don't, we don't want that. I don't believe that God wants that. What do I mean by a movie? I like action movies, right? I like, I like shoot 'em up, bang, bang movies, <laughs> right? right? I like seeing boys drop, dead, right? That's what, right? It's a movie. But do I want that in real life? No. Totally and utterly against it, right? Movie, this is a man like you and I that we're talking about. This is his life. This is nothing that you just play with. It's a man's life that we're discussing. It's not a, it's not a movie. It's his life. So when I say his brothers sold him into slavery, I got a little brother right here, right? Second row. If he slowed me into slavery, we're going to have some problems, <laughs> Right? If he thought about killing me, we're going to have something to talk about, and it won't be non-physical, right? We have to think about his brothers, man, people who are supposed to love him and care for him and look after him. They sold him. They abandoned him. They turned their backs towards him. Can we try to at least feel what this man felt? He was abandoned by family. Not a movie. The Midnight Trader sold him in to Egypt. So we get a little closer to Egypt, right? Right? How the Israelites get to Egypt? His brother, their brothers were so. Uh, Joseph's brother sold him uh, to Midnight soldiers, uh, traders, and they sold him to Potiphar. And Potiphar was an officer uh, of Pharaoh. Everyone who saw Joseph knew that God's hand was on him. God made everything that this man did a success. And Joseph, he interprets a dream that Pharaoh has. Uh, God revealed to Pharaoh in a dream, and it was, uh, and it was, how do you say, interpreted by Joseph that seven years, they would have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Joseph gave Pharaoh wise instructions on how to deal with this famine. And then Pharaoh, in turn, makes Joseph second in command, second to none other but Pharaoh himself. The Bible says, not a finger moves without Joseph's approval. This man first was in prison for something that he did not do. Potiphar's wife lied on him because she wanted to make advance, well, she made advances to him and he denied her. This man was in prison. He went from prison straight to second in command after he interprets this dream. Famine causes Jacob to send Joseph's brothers to Egypt to get food. And guys, I just want to stop right here and I want to take a moment to just marvel at our God. Because as I studied this, this doesn't seem like any plan of salvation that I would have came up with, right? 
But then I'm informed that God knows best. And I'm not saying that in any type of just like regular, just something to say. I'm saying, hear me, that there is no other plan outside of the plan that God has already laid out. That is a better plan. There is no other plan outside of the plan that God has already laid out that is a better plan. And I marvel because I sit there and I say, man, I'm looking at a master at work. That our God is masterful, brilliant, genius. And this is what I'm looking at. So you can, this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at. So Joseph had a dream that he will reign over his, his brothers. And not only that, he had another dream that he would reign over his, his father, mother, and brothers. All right? And how do they get there? They don't get there by Joseph just like strong arming a situation and, and forcing it to happen. They get there through a cycle of events that put Joseph's in position. And they didn't just say, hey, we're starving. We're going to go to Egypt. They didn't even say that. The Bible says that Jacob sent them to Egypt. So this was not when Joseph had this dream that God gave him, this was not something that played out that we would see as A, B, C, and D. This was a brilliant orchestration of a master, and I just want to be grateful that my God is so masterful. I just want to because this is not the way that we would have even thought to do we have the story now, and yes, in our arrogance, we may say, huh, I probably could have came up with that, but you couldn't have. It's only the mind of God that can come up with such a perfect plan for salvation. So Jacob forgives his brothers after he hides his identity from them, and he hears a genuine repentance from them in Genesis uh, 45. And this is what Joseph says in Genesis 45. Again, we're, we're moving towards Genesis 50. We're almost there. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. It's amazing that a guy who's supposed to be loved, cared for, nourished, brought up, was sold and yet he's beckoning people who conspire to kill him. Not just come near to me. No. Come near to me, please. I'm not going to get on my head for this. You've got to hear Jesus. I'm gonna, you got to hear him in this. Please, in spite of what you've done to me, in spite of what you thought to do, Come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed 
or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. Joseph reconciles with his brothers, and then his father dies. And that's how we get to Genesis 50. We ultimately see that God is really in control. His faithfulness and his desire to ransom a people for his good purpose and pleasure, second to none. He's in control and his faithfulness and desire to ransom a people. That word, when I was meditating just on the story, that word desire, I really believe just God's spirit just laid that on my heart, desire, because I'm sitting, I'm like, he didn't have to do it. I look at how far he goes, this whole plan, as we see it through throughout all the scripture, and it doesn't seem to me that he just wanted to do it because it was something to do. There was a passionate fire behind this plan to rescue us. He desired. It's just different. This is different. Desire to ransom for his good purpose and pleasure. We had Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. After Joseph's father died, after Joseph's father dies, his brothers second guess his goodness towards them. They start second guessing his goodness. His brother feared that Joseph would take revenge on them for the evil that they had done to him. They looked at their own sin and they started to question his goodness and his character and his motives. They said, you know, come on, y'all know, y'all know the people. Y'all know the people that uh, 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 when they're in front of somebody, they act a certain way, right? And then when that person leaves, they act totally different. It's a whole nother way, right? That's what maybe he forgave us only for our father's heart. Just only, only for our father's sake. They begin to, they look at their own self. They say, well, maybe their forgiveness is not as genuine as we once thought. Because they accepted his forgiveness. They accepted it. But then as they reflect, they start second guessing. Sounds a little familiar. Joseph weeps. He wept in verse 17 at the end. Uh, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And he responded by saying this. In verse, at the end of verse 17, uh, verse 19, am I, Joseph, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I, for am I, Sorry, in the place of God. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Joseph's theology was fascinating to me. Joseph's theology. Joseph, what he thought or what he believed to be true about God, right? What he thought, what he knew to be true about God was fascinating. It, it informed his actions. Am I in a place of God? He reckon, I'm not God. God is God and I am a servant. His forgiveness was informed 
by who God was. I take the place of God in unforgiveness. Reminded of a story in the Gospels that's always shaking my heart of a king who forgives a man who owes him so much. That same man goes out, sees a guy, and hems him up for like not even a comparable amount to what he owed and tries to force that man to give it to him. People saw this thing, and it was great wickedness. The man who was forgiven for much now is demanding repayment for so little? Maybe we don't look at ourselves like this, but man, I have been forgiven for so much. The song said, the song said, the song said, the song said, uh, and as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. That's my tryout, D. Trying out for the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need a solo. <laughs> I don't know about you. I need my failures to disappear. I know that because of what Jesus done, my failures have disappeared. His theology informs his actions. It keeps him steadfast in the face of adversity. It keeps him humble. Remember, he's second to none. He could have did whatever he wanted. It wouldn't have been questioned. It keeps him humble. Do we hear Philippians? T- okay. All right, y'all don't hear. We're going to get there. It keeps, it keeps his focus He keeps, sorry, he keeps his focus on God's plan and not his own, right? Joseph recognizes and acknowledges that God is God alone and not him. Verse 20, Joseph says this, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What Joseph is not saying is that you meant it for evil and God used it for good. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. What he's, what he's saying is you had a plan. You conspired against me to destroy me and to kill me and to sell me. But God had a plan. So he said you had a plan and God had a plan. God is not reacting to your plans. God is not reacting to your evil deeds. This is not a reaction. You had a plan. He had a plan. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So what was God's intent behind Joseph's suffering and triumph? It says to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Well, Joseph said God and God's intent was to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph told his brothers, uh, uh, do not fear. This is what he says. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones and hear these words that a man that's been sinned against and sold 
Listen to what he says. Or listen to what the Bible says about him. This, he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. That's how the children of Israel get to Egypt. When I wrote this, well, I didn't think about it. I'm thinking about it now. It's not like the Bible project, right? We're not going to Egypt. That's it. That's the story. But it doesn't quite end there. It ends there for us today. And if you want to see Egypt, you come next week. But what I mean by this is that the story of Joseph is not just about Joseph. None of scripture points us to individual characters or people. I shouldn't use the word characters. People, real people of scripture. The only person that scripture points us to is God in the man Christ Jesus. All of scripture points us to Jesus. So when we look at Joseph We can admire the story, but all praise don't be to Joseph. Look at at Moses. We can look at Joshua. We can look at us. We look at at Tayshaun, my story. My story points to him. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, we point to him. May when they see me, they see you. Our lives, we, we point to him. And so how does the story of Joshua, sorry, I'm sorry, the story of Joseph, how does that directly like, reflect like Jesus? There's a prophecy from Jacob in chapter 49 where he prophesies uh, uh, to Judah. And he says, uh, it's verse 8. He says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from from Judah, nor the ruler's staff. This is king talk from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. In many ways, Jacob prophesied to uh, uh, Jacob's prophecy to Judah does apply to Judah. You can hear some David in there, but we want to focus on how it applies to Jesus. He is the ruler of all his father's children and the conqueror of his father's enemies. And it is he that deserves the praise of all the saints. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah as he is referred to in the prophecy in Revelations 5 or Revelation 5, 5. As I look at this comparison between Joseph and Jesus, I could not help but to think about 
Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 14. I want us to hear this. Since we have a great high priest has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weakness, our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Can you see it? Can, can you... Let us hold fast our confession. What it, the second guessing when I, when I see the brothers of Joseph, the second guessing is just, I just saw myself. I see his goodness. I see his forgiveness. I see his love. I see his, it's there. It's there. I told you guys, our God, our king is brilliant. He's a master. A master. And he says, if there's any way I can get them to understand, to see, to believe that I love them, to believe that there is forgiveness for them, what is it? What could I do? What could I do? And this God, no other greater plan he says, hmm, the cross. I look at the cross, and for some reason, I see my sin, and sometimes I second guess. Can it be? Is it real? This forgiveness, this love. My iPad went dead. I don't need it anyway. I'm talking about Jesus now. Come on, somebody. Can it be this God forgives me? And what did Joseph do when they second-guessed him? He wept. Do you not understand? Do you not see my forgiveness? Do you not feel my heart? How I've taken care of you. How I've loved you when you were supposed to first love me. Not saying that's true for Jesus. Don't get me wrong, I'm using an example. But how his brother's supposed to love him and care for him, and they abandon him. And he turns around, and he loves them. In spite of, he takes care of them and their families. In spite of, and they still had the goal to second guess. I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm just saying, let's reason. Does it make sense to second guess when we see the cross? Guys, this is not, if you haven't accepted Jesus, this is not an invitation for you to get yourself together. This is an invitation to come to Jesus to rest. To come empty-handed with nothing to give. I'm not asking you to bring anything. You don't bring nothing to the table. I'm just asking you to taste and see 
Because I've tasted and I've seen and I know that he's good. I know that he's good. I know that there's forgiveness for the sinner. There's no reason why I should be standing here before you guys. None at all. Save the fact that he's good. Let's hold fast our confession. Get back to Hebrew so we can wrap this up. Can somebody shout out what page is Hebrews on in the Black Bibles for me? 1003. Thank you. For we do not have a high priest, verse 15, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. When we look at the story of Joseph, he's one of the people in the Bible where I don't see no like grievous sin that I see in these other guys. Right, the murdering and uh, killing folks and sleeping with their wives and all that crazy. I don't, I don't see that with Joseph. I do see that he was tempted. You see that with, with Potiphar's wife, right? Because he had to flee, right? If he wasn't tempted, he wouldn't have had to flee. Let's just say that. Amen. Also, just all this power being, being second. You've got to be tempting yet without sin and I look at the cross and I see my God hanging there and they say if you be the son of God get yourself down and I I can only imagine they didn't know what they were asking for and I also can imagine that he could have But the Bible says, he who for the joy who was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw nothing else better. Nothing else better than to ransom us, than to save a people. They thought it was power for him to come down. I see power in him standing, staying up there, hanging up there that's power and my God he hangs there for me he's accusing and sins of other people causes him suffering and I don't just blame the people that was there yes they did it but I had a part in that too what does Isaiah say he was bruised for what my transgressions Wounded for my iniquity. I just, I just, I just see it all in here, guys. It says, let us with confidence come near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. 
What did he say in Genesis 45? Come near to me, please. Come near to me, please. He wants you, you to come near. The psalmist said if if his grace is in ocean, we're all sinking. Where are you running to? I know nowhere else to go. It's with Jesus I find grace. I find mercy. Guys, we can run to him. Let us pray. Thank you so much, Father, for this, for this time. I am again reminded that you're the one who never leaves, not one behind. And I just pray, God, as the word has gone forth, that if there's anyone here, if there is one person here, God, who have not accepted Jesus, that they would come and draw near that they will accept this great salvation. They will trust in him. Trust in Jesus. Father, you desire this, God, that all men will come, God, to the knowledge of Jesus. And trust in him, Father, so please, would you, Would you, would you, would you, would you, would you, God, would you please? It is not just be another Sunday, Father. It's just life or death that we're talking about, God. Really, life or death. If there's anyone in here, God, I can't preach it into them, Father. It has to be your spirit that moves. Do it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.